Well, good morning. Talking about money today, and uh, I don't know about I don't know about you, but that topic in a religious setting for some reason always makes me a little uncomfortable. I was at a concert a while back, and uh, in the middle of the concert, it was a Christian concert. In the middle of the in the middle of the Christian concert, there was a uh, there was sort of like an intermission type break type thing. And some uh, speaker got up, and they were promoting a particular ministry, and they were appealing to the people in, at the Christian concert to give money. I've been at a couple of Christian concerts like this. Maybe that's what happens at there. I don't know. But a couple of say, where they say, let me, let me tell you about a need. And in this case, it was giving to, to children. Uh, to children in need, it was like a child sponsorship type thing which my wife and I are happy to participate in, in one of these. So I, this is not a bad ministry at all, and it wasn't a bad ministry, but, but the appeal for money was just so thick and guilt-laden, it felt to me. And the logic went like this. It went, listen, God wants you to be generous, and here is a significant need. Therefore, the direct application of God's command to be generous is to give to this ministry. And I want to say, well... Part of that is true. God does want us to be generous. And we're going to look at, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, clear calls to be generous today, okay? But what bothered me was the direct application to, and to therefore be obedient to God, you must give to this ministry. And so I just want to say off the top that, yes, God wants us to be generous, absolutely. And what we'll see today is that the motivation and the desire and the source of our generosity is itself actually a gift from God that we receive through the gospel, that the gospel wells up in us uh, a joy, and that joy overflows in generosity. We'll see that was the case for the Macedonians. That's supposed to be the case for us. So yes, absolutely to be generous, but then the application of how to give or where to give or what to give to, that is up to you working it out with the Holy Spirit as you see the needs around you, okay? So this is not a call to say, hey, please give money to the church. This, is not, and this, this passage is not about tithing, and we're not talking about tithing today. Not that we shouldn't ever talk about tithing. That's okay. Tithing's good. It's just not the point of the message today, okay? Uh, and, and I want to trust the Holy Spirit to work in your lives to figure out the how. But it is still an important topic. It is still important to talk about what God wants us to do, how God wants us to view our money, because I really do think it is and I, we see in Paul and we see in Jesus, it's close to what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus talks about money all the time. And Paul here draws a direct connection between the grace that we've received in Jesus and, and the grace that we then extend to others. That, that because, you know, Jesus became poor for our sake so that we could become rich and therefore we then give to those in need. Okay, so it, it is close to following Jesus. Again, this connects Back to our, to our theme and our, our series on receiving grace, extending grace. What we're going to see is that this is, this is a grace that we receive, and therefore it's a grace that we extend. It's the heartbeat of the Christian life. How do we respond to God's action? God acts, we respond. God acts, we respond. We respond in praise back to him, and we respond in love to others. Right? Love God, love others. So that's, that's our theme. That's the... That's the setting in which we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Let's just take a minute and pray, and then we'll get into the text. Dear God, I pray that actually, uh, first and foremost, that we are understanding the gospel. 
not just in our minds, but, um, but in our hearts and our wills. And from that gospel, well up in us, bring to us a joy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Or maybe there are some, we, our bones are heavy because there's sin in our hearts, and so we, we confess that sin. And, and we acknowledge then that you make us new and you make us right, and, and so we ask you, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Renew in us a willing spirit so that we can offer praises to you in, in whatever forms you call us to do that. Help us from that joy then to, to love those around us, to have a generous heart and a generous attitude towards those around us. Thank you that you do that. Thank you that your grace completes a work within us. And may it do that again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to start out. Our first point, and we'll expound on this as we go through the passage, is that we should give like the Macedonians. Give like the Macedonians. And so the question is, what makes the Macedonians such good givers? If we're supposed to give like the Macedonians, which is what Paul's going to tell the Corinthians, what, what makes them such good givers? And so we'll look at a few things, and if you're following along your notes, you can take notes with this. So the first one, we see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And now he's going to expound on the grace, what is the grace that he has given to the Macedonian churches. And he's going to talk about how they are such good givers, what makes them such good givers. So the first point is this, God gave them a grace. God gave them a grace. Did you see what it said there? It said, um, the grace that God has given to the Macedonians. We would sort of want to rephrase that a little bit in our natural minds to say, now look at the grace that the Macedonians are giving to others. But Paul couches it like this. He says, no, this is a grace that God has given to the Macedonians. What makes them such good givers is first and foremost that God has given them a grace. And that grace is in giving. So our first, again, a little bit more here to expand on this. God gives us the desire and the ability to be generous. Why is giving a grace? Giving is a grace because it's a gift from God. What does God give us? He gives us the desire and the ability to be generous. I remember this was a, a definition that John used in his sermons a while back. What is grace? Grace is the desire and the ability to follow God. It's the desire and God gives us the desire, the want to follow him, and he gives us the ability to follow him. Here it's just specified that God gives us the desire to be generous and the ability to be generous. It's something that God works in us. It's, it's a gift that God gives to us. If we want to be generous, that's God giving in us. And we have, if, if we have the ability to be generous, that is also God giving us the ability. It's because all things come from God. What else could we give except something that is given from God? And the passage ends with Paul talking about the manna that comes from heaven. Everything that we receive comes from him. So, God, so, so giving is a grace. It is a grace that we can bring to completion. In 8 verse 6, uh, it says, So I urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Paul, there's a beginning of their grace. We'll see it's a desire to give. And Paul is going to, and Titus is going to bring it to completion. So it's a grace that can be brought to completion. 
Giving is a grace at which we can excel. In verse 7 it says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled uh, in you, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. And again, uh, John's been in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, all about the gifts that God gives, and one of those gifts is a gift of generosity. And giving is a grace that causes others to praise God. Down in uh, verse 14 of chapter 9, it says, And their prayers for you, or and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. In other words, the people that receive this, in this case it's the people in Jerusalem, as they receive this, it's a, that they will rejoice because of the grace that God has given to you. So, the first point is this, what makes the Macedonians a good giver? Good givers. They have received the grace of God to be able to, again, it's all, they're not getting credit here. I mean, Paul is happy of their obedience, right? But he's, he's still always pointing credit back to God and all these things. Okay, moving on to verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Number two, what makes them good givers? They gave out of joy and poverty. Look at this verse. It's, it's fascinating to me. In the midst of a very severe trial, Paul doesn't talk about what exactly this trial was. It could have been persecution. It could have been the fact that they were undergoing poverty themselves, maybe. But they're already in a, in a, in a, in a place of difficulty. And yet, in this severe trial, very severe, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. You want to say, Paul, you said that wrong. Again, it's, it's their overflowing joy, but how is it their overflowing joy and their poverty that well up in rich generosity? How does, how does poverty help somebody become generous? Well, first of all, before we answer that, let's ask again about the, the, the joy. Where do, why are the Macedonians so joyful? And I think we get the clue actually in Romans chapter 15. Here's what it says there. It says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. So Paul is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be of service to the Lord's people there. And we're going to see this phrase in connection with giving to the people in Jerusalem, this phrase, in the Lord's service. So this is a service that they're doing to the Lord by providing for the people in Jerusalem. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So here we go, the Macedonians, what are they doing? They're making contribution. The people in Jerusalem had undergoing a severe famine, even worse than was happening in Macedonia. So they were poverty to the extreme, right, in the absolute depths of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and why, were they, why did they do this? They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So the people in Macedonia and Achaia, they recognized the reality that the only way that they came to know Jesus, the only way that they received faith was because the Jews in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem, had, had sent Paul and Barnabas to, spread the, to share the gospel, to share the good news. And so they had received this good gift from, from the people in, in Jerusalem, Right? And because they had received this good gift, it said they were pleased to then give a gift back. In this case, they received a spiritual blessing, 
they then, we are going to give a material blessing. And it says they were pleased to do it. They had a joy. It was, that's just the joy. The joy of the gospel was welling up in them. And it created in them even a sense of obligation. They needed to do it. But the joy and the obligation were not, uh, they're not, sometimes they can be opposed to each other, right? But in this case, the joy and the obligation were beautifully married together. They, they understood they had a debt of love to repay, and they were joyful to give it back. That's where their joy came from. It came from the fact that they had received the good news of the gospel. Okay? Now back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, we'll look at the next one. So again, uh, actually, I didn't talk about the poverty, right? I missed that. Um, so they were filled up with this, with this great joy from receiving the gospel, and their poverty contributed to their rich generosity. How is it that their poverty contributes to the rich generosity? I think it's sort of what we see here, like in the, in the parable or in the story that Jesus tells of the widow's might, right? When he's in the temple and he sees the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are giving in tons of money, right? The rich people, they, they throw it in. It makes big clinks. Everybody sees, like, wow, look at how much they gave. And then the widow comes by, and she's got her two little pennies, and she, she puts him in, doesn't make a sound. What does Jesus see? Does he just pay attention to the big, loud clinks? Only to criticize, unfortunately. No, he pays attention to the widow, and he says, she has given more than anybody else. Why? Because she gave out of, she gave everything they had. They gave out of their surplus. She gave everything that she had. It was a true act of generosity, a true act of trust on her part, a trust in the God who would provide for her what she needed next. She didn't hoard. She knew that it all came from God, so her gift was extra special, right? So I think what, what Paul's saying is it's not the amount that matters. Paul isn't going to the Corinthians saying, I need, I need everything you've got, right? He, he's, he's saying what matters is the heart. The generosity is in the heart. The heart's what matters. And so it was the fact that the Macedonians were so poor, they were in poverty, and they still gave. It shows the true richness of their gift, because it shows the true heart of their gift. Make sense? Okay. Now let's take a look at number three. Verse, uh, verse three in chapter eight. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Okay? Number three is this. They gave as much or more than they were able. Why were they such good givers? They weren't stingy. They weren't saying, what's, what's the least amount I can give? They were saying, what's the most I could possibly give here? The, again, why would they do this? The, because of an overflowing joy. Because of an overflowing joy. They did not hold back. They recognized the need. They recognized that they could contribute to that need. They wanted to do so. They had a sense of obligation to do so that was mixed with the joy of receiving the gospel, and therefore they gave. There's a, there's a foolishness to the Macedonians here, isn't there? From a worldly perspective, there's a foolishness here. Why would they give more than they are able? What are they thinking? And I think in Jesus, again, we see there's a foolishness to the gifts that Jesus gives us. But that foolishness is the wisdom of God. And so there's this, the, the wisdom only comes because they know who gave them everything to begin with. They know that it's already a gift. They know they already need to trust and rely on God. Okay? So they were good givers because they did not hold back. They gave as much or more than they were able. All right? Now it said uh, at, the, at the end of this, it said entirely on their own. They urge, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
So again, what makes them good givers? They gave on their own initiative, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded. This was their idea, Paul is saying. They came up with this idea. They, they somehow knew about the need. They come to Paul and they say, we want to give. And I love it. It says they urgently pleaded. Again, this is flipping the script on the, on the common call to money, to request for money. Who is urgently pleading most of the time? It's the person who, wants the, who says, we need this gift. We need this gift. Please give us this gift. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging with you. I'm, I'm giving you all kinds of guilt reasons to give. And it's flipped here. And in this case, they were the ones pleading. They said, maybe Paul was even saying, hold on, guys. What are you doing? And, and they're saying, no, we, we, we need to. We want to contribute. Look at the grace that we've received in the gospel. How can we not, Paul? They urgently pleaded. Again, they saw it as sharing in the service of the Lord's people. They saw it as a privilege that they could do this. Doing this gave them a, a godly type of pride, right? That they could fulfill this privilege. They could participate in what God is doing. They gave on their own initiative. They did not need to be begged or pleaded with. They were doing the begging and pleading. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Number five, what did they do? They exceeded expectations. Why did they exceed expectations? They exceeded expectations because they gave more than they were able. They gave of their own initiative. They gave more than Paul was expecting. Because their heart was in the right place, we'll see that they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to them. All that, but they exceeded expectations. I wonder a little bit if Paul puts this in because he's worried that the Corinthians will fail at their expectations. If we go on in chapter 9, here's chapter 9, verse 1. I, I get the sense Paul's a little, a little bit worried here. Here's what he says to the Macedonians. He says, there is no need for me to write to you about the service to the Lord's people. So Paul, in some sense, he's saying, I don't really need to do this. Why? Uh, for I know your earnestness, your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling that them that uh, since last year, year, you and Achaia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has turned most of them to action. So Paul says, I'm confident we're going to follow through on this because I know how um, excited you were when I came to you. And I was, I've been boasting about it. I've been telling everybody how generous you guys plan to be, okay? But I am sending, but he does say this. He goes out, he says, but I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. So I am sending people, making sure you're ready, okay? For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. Right? So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. So Paul's saying, remember how excited you were to give? I'm sending these guys on ahead so that your intention." Will, be, will match, or, or rather, your giving will match your intention. I've been boasting about you. I've been making this promise. So don't let me down, he's kind of saying. But I don't want to be ashamed here. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a project manager at work, and so I've got people that do work for me, and I 
report up to 50 different bosses or whatever. And, and, uh, and so they come to me and they say, all right, Steve, when is this thing going to get done? And then I go to my team and I work with the team and they say, all right, we'll have it done, you know, this date at this time and, and under this amount of money. And so I go back to my, to my bosses and say, okay, we're going to be ready by this time. And I'm kind of this middleman here. Sometimes I wonder what I actually do, but that's, that's an idea. Okay, and, and so and then I check in with my team every once in a while, right? Because I'm going to be the one ashamed if we miss that milestone, if we've got that demo and we're not ready. So I'm going to check in. I'm going to be like, hey, friend, how's it going? How are we doing? Are we making it there? And there's some people I know I need to uh, check in with more, than, more often than others, right? Because they don't always meet the expectations. So that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's, he's checking. I don't know, really. I'm not entirely sure what's going on on the part of Paul, if he is worried or not worried. But, but he keeps pressing the point in 2 Corinthians. It makes me think maybe he is a little bit. But regardless, he, he wants to make sure they meet the expectations. They follow through. What made the Macedonians so great is that they exceeded the expectations. Okay? They gave more than Paul was expecting. Okay, number six. They gave themselves to God. Again, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So this was, in their giving, this was not just about giving money away. This was about surrendering themselves, placing themselves under, giving themselves to God first and foremost. Again, the gospel, the gospel has to come first. The fact that we are bought with a price, that we are his servants, that we are his slaves, that, that we say, yes, God, you've got everything. And if you've got everything of mine, if you have me, then you also have my money. You also have my material possessions. You can do with me whatever you please. Therefore, you can do with my money whatever you please. What a position of trust. That relationship with God must come first. And then they gave themselves to others. Paul says they gave themselves also by the will of God, also to us. Again, this was not just giving money and it's gone, right? But in here, of, of, this, is the, this is the language of solidarity, of close relationship, of a close family relationship, or of an understanding of a life in the body. We're all part of the body. We, we belong not only to God, but they would understand we belong in some sense to each other. It's more of sharing money, sharing of life. And, and this is actually far more radical, and it is far more intense, and it's kind of scary. But it does match what we see in the, in the New Testament in the early church, where they shared all that they had. So they, this was a giving of themselves. Now, it's interesting, because gifts can actually function in the opposite way sometimes. Gifts can actually be given in a way to separate yourself from someone else, or to, um, to, over, to demonstrate control or power over someone else. In this case, that's not what's going on here. The gifts are intended to generate social solidarity, that we're, we're together, we're on the same page here. We need one another. This is not a, this is not a patriarchal type of gift, right? In the sense, this is not like a, I'm using this gift, the Macedonians aren't using this gift to gain power over the Jerusalemites. No, they are using it to build a relationship or to pay back the, the spiritual debt that they owed, Okay. So that is the intention of gifts, is that you would give not in a way to separate from someone or to control someone, but in a way to come closer to someone. That is the goal. 
okay? And that's what made them such good givers. So those are our seven things. We'll just, uh, a few more verses here. It says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made the beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace. So again, Paul wants them to, to finish this up. Okay, and since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Again, what I said at the beginning, that they are trying to, Paul wants them to excel here in this, in this grace. It's another spiritual gift that God has given to the church. And he says this, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of the love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul's saying you need to give, but you, I just said that you excel in earnestness. I just said that you excel in love. Let's test it. One way that we test it, Paul's saying, is we'll compare it to the Macedonians. How do you measure up there? Let's see what they do. They're good givers. Let's see if you can match it. So he's testing them in some sense. Okay? And comparing it to others. So what's he, who's he comparing them to? Well, the Macedonians. But we're going to see, too, he's comparing to Christ. So the next thing is give like Jesus. So... All right, give like the Macedonians. Those are some good things. And we give like Jesus. It's a tall order, I think. It's a taller order. So this is who Paul is comparing them to. For you know, verse 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul is reminding them of the gospel. Reminding them of the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word grace and this word gift are very close, right? Charisma is gift, uh, and charis is grace. And so Paul, in using the language of grace and the language of gift, he's, he's on purpose drawing connections here. Grace is a gift. Grace is an unmerited gift. You know the grace. You know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gift? What is the grace that he has given? That though he was rich... Jesus was, was exalted with God, right? He, he, in his pre-incarnate state, he's in the glory of the Father, right? He shares the glory with the Father, though he was rich. What did he do? He became poor. This is a reference to the incarnation when, when in Philippians it says he emptied himself, where he gave up use of, of his, uh, independent use of his divine powers, right? And so he, he became poor. He, he emptied himself of that. In Philippians says, he humbled himself. He, he became literally poor, actually, even from a human sense. Mary and Joseph were not well off. When they go to the temple to make a sacrifice for him, they bring what the, what the poor people would bring. Okay? So he, be, he came into a literal poverty. So he became, he who was rich, he became poor. He entered into a poverty. Now, I, I don't think we can fully grasp this. Maybe the best analogy we can have is we can think of the richest person on earth, or like a Bill Gates or somebody like that who gives up all of their wealth to go live on the slums of Calcutta or something like that, right? Maybe that could give us a little bit of an idea, but, but that's the, the, the distance that Jesus traveled there from rich to poor is inconceivable for us, I think. But he became poor for our sake. Why did he do that? For your sake, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, through that act of, of humbling, of going down, through his ultimate poverty of his death on the cross, what would happen? That we might become rich. What do we become rich in? We become rich in spiritual blessings. It says the, in, in, um, in the Psalms, it says that, that the price of the ransom of a person is so high, nobody can pay it. 
We were, we were poor, we were destitute, we had nothing spiritually to offer back to God. And God in Jesus makes us rich in spiritual blessings. He pays it. He pays it all. He gives it all so that we can have it all, as Jeff prayed this morning. Right? That, that's absolutely true. That's the gospel. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing that we did, but God in Jesus gives it all to us. We become rich. Do you feel rich? If you understand your salvation, you should feel rich because God has given it to you all in Jesus. And how did he do it? He did it through his poverty. So if we become, if we give like Jesus, that's, that's intense. In, uh, in one of my, um, in one of the commentaries I read as I was studying for this, uh, George Guthrie said, on commenting on this verse, he says, following Christ on the path of discipleship turns out to be following a path of extravagant, grace-filled giving. And I would add to that even sacrificial giving. How could we do that? The only way we could get there is that the gospel comes first in our lives. If we understand, if, if see, Jesus is not only our example, he is our source. He is the source of the gospel, and the gospel should well up in its joy, and that joy just like the Macedonians should overflow into giving. That's the source of our generosity. If we understand the gospel, the result is we understand generosity and giving towards others. Okay? All right, we'll wrap this up, and we'll just say, let actions, let your actions match your desire. So maybe the Spirit's been working, and there's a desire. Let the actions match your desire. Paul says this, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Again, you desired to give. And now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Okay, so, so match it up. And how are they supposed to match it, Paul says? According to your means. Our giving, what matters is, again, is not the quantity. It's the heart of the gift. God loves a cheerful giver. For if the willingness is there, if you want to do it in your heart, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So what matters again is, it's not what, we're not, Paul isn't saying give out of something you don't have. Give out of what you have, but use the Macedonians as an example. Um, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality or fairness, and at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And then he ends with this quote. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And Paul is using this quote. This is from the Exodus story when they were going to the wilderness and God gives manna from heaven, and they were supposed to gather exactly what they needed. And whoever gathered much didn't have too much, and whoever gathered little didn't have too little. God supplied every need. Paul is using this to highlight equality or fairness, right? There's, there's a reciprocity in the gift. There's a fairness. There's an equality. Paul's not trying to make the Corinthians poor just so he can make the Jerusalemites rich. He wants fairness. He wants reciprocity in the relationship. They give so that in turn they could be given back in another time of need, etc., right? But the other thing that Paul's doing with this quote, I think, is he's reminding us that, again, that everything comes from him. Again, giving is a grace because God gives us the desire and the ability to be generous with others. God works in our hearts to do that. I'll just close on one, one final note here, and that's this. 
Paul here is in emphasizing the relationship of giving between people. He emphasizes the reciprocity. And what I mean by reciprocity is that I'm going to give to you in your time of need, and you're going to give to me in my time of year. There's, there's a give and there is a take to this relationship, okay? That is, Paul is saying that kind of giving, there's dignity in that kind of giving, I think we'd see. There's, there's not, it's not that the gifts are necessarily in turn or in kind. We don't always give like that. Jesus actually says to, to give to uh, people who can't give back. Okay? Get, in, invite the people that can't repay you. Invite them to your banquet. That's, that's giving like Jesus, right? But in, all, in other kinds of relationships, Paul is saying it's okay to sometimes think like that. We give without expectation in return, but if there is return, the goal is that there would be a, a, shared, a shared bond in this. That's okay. Paul wants there to be a close relationship, unity within the people of, of, the, of the body of Christ, right? So it's okay in human relationships. But, but there is a contrast here in the way that humans give to one another and the way that God gives to us. You see, God gives to us such a great gift we could never repay. We can't reciprocate a gift back to God. We can't say, okay, God, you has given this to, you've given this to me, so I'm going to repay you by giving something back to you. God says, that's not how it works. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need anything. Do you think I need your sacrifices? Do you think I need you to offer a, a burnt offering to me? No way. I don't eat that stuff. God is self-sustaining. He's got everything. He needs nothing. So we cannot. God gives us a good gift, and the thing I can't do is give it back to him. It's useless. It's worthless. But I can do two things. I can give him thanks. I can bring praise back to him. And I can take the gifts that he has given to me, and I can extend it to others. I can share it with others. So if God has given me such a good gift, I can't give him anything back. But what he wants from me is he wants me to love others with all that he has given me. You know, I think it's different when we understand our money as a gift than if we think we earn it. I was, uh, I was given some money once specifically to use to give to a charity. Was it difficult for me to give that money to a charity? No, it wasn't. And it would have been dishonest me for doing anything else with it. But I, I had that money in my hand and I didn't think of it as mine, really. I thought of it as something to, I was a steward of it, that's it. It was temporary in my hand. It was a gift to me. And there was an intended purpose for that gift, which was to help somebody else. It wasn't hard for me to part with. It's a little bit different with the money I earn from my job, just psychologically speaking. But I think God wants us to view all that we have as a gift. And if it's all that we have as a gift, we're stewards of it. And we love each other with it. Amen? And how we do that, that's the Spirit's work in our lives. Thank you guys as a church, by the way, for being generous. We're doing great. And that's, that's because of you guys and your kindness to us. All right? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your generous gift to us in the person of Jesus. That for our sake, he became poor so that we might become rich. Everything is a gift from you. Even the desire to give is a gift from you. Even that is something you give to us. And, and we can still be, we can keep in step with the Spirit, we can walk with the Spirit, or we can reject the Spirit, we can ignore the Spirit. But, but even when we do give, it's the Spirit working in us. And so work in us, Lord. 
we give ourselves to you. And as we give ourselves to you, we give our material resources to you as well. Do with them as you please for your glory. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and uh, worshiping with us this morning. You're dismissed.